Hello and welcome to the final Breaking Ground show of 2023 on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon, the show where we chat to industry experts to get a view on what's happening on the ground and to learn about new trends emerging within the construction industry. This show is brought to you in partnership with Place Engage, a data-driven platform for more successful public consultation and community engagement for your next development project. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by returning guest Pat Barry, CEO of the Irish Green Building Council and, of course, chair of the European Regional Network of the World Green Building Council. Pat, welcome back. It's great to chat to you today. Many thanks for having me on, uh, Carol. I'm, as you know, I'm a huge uh, fan and advocate of the work that you're doing there within the Irish Green Building Council and, and now kind of more broadly, kind of the World Green Building Council. And in the last number of weeks, um, you've been involved in a very important conference for Ireland. So you might just talk to us a little bit about maybe the initiatives of the Irish Green Building Council uh, in 2023, um, culminating in the, the conference last week. Well, I suppose in 2023, um, we've been involved in quite a number of initiatives um, ranging from trying to popularise um, um, the understanding of things like uh, embodied carbon and whole life carbon, which is about moving beyond just looking at the energy use within a building, but looking at um, the materials that go into creating that building. Um, and we've been doing a lot of work around uh, creating baselines for uh, what what typical practice in Ireland uh, for, con- for construction. We've also been working quite a lot on circularity, um, you know, circularity in construction. How do we get better use out of our materials and maintain materials in longer um, continuous loops of reuse? Um, so we, we've been working across a whole range of issues um, in 2023. Um, and I suppose our conference on uh, Friday was very much focused on housing um, with a key theme. Uh, one key theme is really looking at um, a combination of climate, creating homes for climate adaptation um, that can withstand um what we are starting to experience and have experienced over the summer, you know, extreme heat, uh, extreme rainfall and flooding. And how do we design homes to better cope with that future? We also, you know, we also looked at um, how we can be more efficient in the type of homes that we build. Um, We've been working with UCD on a study which looked at um, you know, density, um, the impact of and costs of the infrastructure um, between the homes that we build. Um, you know, if, you, if, if lower density homes can quite often consume a lot of materials that goes in into the um, infrastructure and roads and manholes and lighting and you know, set out recommendations and how we can reduce the cost of that uh, for the home builder and for the home buyer. Um, it, it's definitely been a busy 2023. You know, one of the things that I've seen, and certainly we see it a lot across maybe tech adoption across the built environment, that um, a lot of work can be done over a decade and then the, the you know, with incremental increases, but actually the the jumps tend to happen all at once. Um, so these things come together. And certainly the last two years feels a little bit like that in terms of how 
of the industry has has um, maybe embraced some of the concepts that you're talking about there. You know, it's interesting to hear you talk about uh, part of the work of the Irish Green Building Council as to popularise terms like embodied carbon and, you know, um, and circularity across the, the construction industry, because it almost seems like that shouldn't be important that actually if the drivers are policy and compliance um, to meet standards and to meet um, to meet uh, Ireland's 2050 ambitions, it almost seems that popularising it shouldn't be an issue, that it should be a case of uh, people complying. But we know that that's not the full story and that the culture is a huge part of this. So you might just maybe talk to me a little bit about how you're bringing the industry along with you and project owners along with you. Well, I suppose over the past two years, there has been a little bit of a sea change or a major sea change in how developers and the construction industry sees sustainability. Um, whereas before, it would have been very much focused on just minimum compliance. The realisation is that, you know, there's a far wider um, context out there. Um, you, for example, European Directive has introduced um, the Sustainable Finance um, regu Regulatory Directive um, there's the EU taxonomy, which is now starting to um, set requirements around. It's it, it's really um, the EU taxonomy is around tackling uh, greenwashing and stating what can and cannot be declared as green green lending. So that is filtered through to the industry, um, and they're realizing that they can't just wait for national regulations. They have to look at what's happening internationally because if, if you're trying to get finance, international finance, or you, or even national finance, um, you now have to look beyond building regulations. Um, I, we know and we've discussed it previously on the show that the sustainable finance regulations have certainly been a huge driver. And I suppose I am very conscious of your position, as I mentioned at the top of the show there, that in addition to your work with the Irish Green Building Council, you are currently the chair of the European Regional Network of the World Green Building Council. So that gives you maybe a more global perspective on where Ireland sits um, in terms of our policies, our regulations, but also in terms of the culture of the industry. Um, and you're absolutely right. You know, before we, we came on air, you and I were discussing that there has been a change um, in, in recent times. It's something we see across our clients. And, you know, I'm not sure if, um, I mean, certainly I wouldn't describe some of the activities that went before it as greenwashing, but I think they were maybe very naive attempts to do their best, not understanding what their best would be. And that's why projects like establishing the baselines of buildings and, and across the industry are very important. I know it's something that many of our clients fed into the work um, that you and your team were doing. And we've spoken to your colleague, Stephen, actually about that project um, earlier this summer. So really encouraging construction and project owners to get involved and talk about their, you know, share data on their projects so that we can actually start to understand the scale of the problem we're dealing with but given your global perspective and maybe the lack of data although i know that is improving in ireland are you able to measure how ireland is performing right now well uh, um i suppose um 
as well, the, the, the range, our, Europe is quite diverse. So um, you have countries like Scandinavia, um, Holland, France, who are moving ahead quite quickly. Um, and other countries you know, in Southern Europe or in Central Europe, which, which are probably not moving quite as fast. So you do have a diversity across the whole of Europe. Ireland sits somewhere uh, closer to the probably to the to the Nordics or slightly behind the Nordics and the um, the, the French and the, the Dutch but I think we are not as far behind as uh, some may think we are because I think we're quite good in Ireland at um, because we're a small country we're, we're very good at um, taking on change and seeing trends and adapting to them so I think that Ireland's in a very good position to catch up very quickly and uh, really understand, you know, the impact of um, the new regulations coming from Europe. Um, that's that's a really positive thing to hear, because I think there has been a certain amount of mixed messaging over the number of years. And I, I think that it's not even mixed messaging. It's, it's maybe our understanding of some of these concepts are growing, but actually as our understanding grows, sometimes it's important to make, you know, that we agree on definitions and we, we agree on things. And I think um, the EU taxonomy is going to be really fundamental in that. But even referring back to the conference that happened um, uh, recently, the Better Homes Conference, like, can you take us back to basics just a little and say, you know, in the Irish context, what is a better home? Well, I suppose... Um... We have defined um, better homes really through, um, we have a, a certification system called Home Performance Index. Now, we're not necessarily asking everybody to get certified, but what it does is it gives a really good framework for what a sustainable home is because it looks at about 35 different indicators um, for sustainability, looking at um, a, a much broader range of um, environmental indicators, say, than the BER, but also health and well-being indicators and economic indicators. So it is a good start for anybody trying to understand um what a, a better home is by just downloading that manual and it's very much it's very much designed for Ireland um it's very much um integrated it integrates um Irish building regulations um uh, national policy on climate um but very much aligned with all of the European directives like um you know taxonomy um the new incoming energy performance of buildings directive. So I think it's a it's it's we developed this very much as a as an education tool as well, so that you know any architect, any any developer can look through it and understand immediately um what indicators need to be measured. And sometimes it's very simple, cost-free measures that can be integrated like water efficiency is is one that we we've identified as a gap um it's uh, you know it, it's largely cost free it's something you can um you can integrate uh, uh, low flow showers low flow taps at no real additional cost 
there's other things like location, like uh, embodied carbon, all of which if are considered very early in the design of homes can have a huge impact in improving the quality of the, uh, for, for the future occupants. And Pat, in terms of the home building, or sorry, the home performance index, and it is a very comprehensive, uh, almost toolkit, if I could describe it as that. And by the way, I will, um, I, I will include a link to the resources actually with this recording here for anybody who's interested. But in terms of the communications out, you know, the fact that you have integrated national policy on climate, uh, you have integrated kind of building regulations, and of course the new um, energy performance um, directive, you know, it, encompassing all of that, who is this communicated to? I mean, are you trying to target the design teams? And um, is there a role for planners in understanding and and maybe um um providing providing uh, for this? Or are you speaking directly to the project owners? You know, where is this landing, and is there a different message for each? Well, I suppose at the at the conference on Friday, we had a couple of speakers who were talking about the benefits of using um. Uh, the Home Performance Index, we had uh, Charlie Conlon from um, Ballymore, and he was talking about how it kind of creates a, a common communication tool between the developer and his design team in that they're, you know, once they have it on the table, they're all working to the same goal. So they they understand what needs to be done to um, deliver sustainable homes. Um, so it it really needs to be we're really trying to communicate to the developers that you know if 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 you start engaging with your design team about the about the system you will get a you get a better product um because even if you don't go for a certification because suddenly the architects um and your design team realize that the, there might have been uh, things that they didn't consider before that can simply be integrated cost free into a development that that really improve the quality and i like i like uh the, the that toolkit being described almost as a common communication between the design team and the project owners um because that's such a fundamental first step but how does it filter down across the supply chain because one thing uh, about how the business of construction in ireland um, operates is that actually you need everybody on board to be able to deliver uh, on the promises that are set out from uh, the early stage whether it's design or from the project owners so how are you how is the supply chain being brought along with this well i suppose um um there's a there's a number of ways that it, it filters through for example um we we look for the, the the system encourages you to look for environmental product declarations so they're transparent declarations from a supplier as to the environmental impact of all of the materials supplied um to to to, to the home um so so by simply asking for those uh, not all producers have environmental product declarations but simply once the architect says well in order to achieve this credit, we need a certain number of environmental product declarations. Once um, architects start asking for these, or the developers ask for these, then that changes the supply chain because they start to be produced. And once there is a, you know, a critical mass of those environmental product declarations in the market, 
then manufacturers are comparing their environmental impacts with their competitor, and that then drives down the impact. So that's at the the product level. But then we also look at things like air tightness and um, thermal bridging, and that all filters down then to the to the on-site construction workers, where we encourage upskilling of um, uh, construction staff, and and that 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 is reflected then in in the credits within the um, tool, because you can get additional credits if the the site staff are trained up to a certain level, you know, yeah. around uh, energy efficiency and thermal bridging and air tightness. Pat, I'm going to ask you a question that I ought to have asked maybe two or three years ago when we had our first conversation. How does Green Building Council define sustainability? Well, as we, we define sustainability very much around uh, um, uh, working within the ecological limits of the, um, the planet. There's a very good framework, which you may be familiar, um, known as donut economics. Um, and there's a number of key scientific indicators um, that we've already, scientific boundaries that we've already surpassed, um, including, you know, global warming, um, extraction of water, uh, land use conversion. Um, so really it's about developing the whole construction sector within the ecolo ecological limits of the planet whilst uh, maintaining a floor, a, 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 um, ensuring that everybody on the planet actually has the necessities that they need like housing, access to water, um, and all of those things that are essential to human life. And um, you know, I I think we are increasingly getting to the to this stage where how we define sustainability is going to be the decider of maybe the cultural shift for for the critical mass we need for the change that we need to see and. I, I just don't know. I, I've been doing some research about this recently, and I just don't know if it's very clearly defined as to what that means in a construction context. Um, and so I, I appreciate what you're saying there, and I understand about the ecological limits of the planet. Um, and, you know, I'm always interested to see, does that mean preserving and maintaining the status quo, or are we? does it mean that imperative to innovate um, and, and use emerging technologies to almost expand the ecological limits of the planet. Um, and I'm just, you know, it's something that I'm unclear on. And I think there's some really interesting research happening at the moment. Um, and I appreciate it's difficult for policymakers to, to make policy on thought of that, but I just, it feels like something that is unsettled at this stage. Um, and, and, um, and I just wonder, is that feeding into maybe, you know, we're, we're so, we're falling so short. Ireland is falling so short, short, say on our on our twenty thirty targets at this stage. It seems difficult to see how we'll make up those. And if we miss those by a long shot, where does that leave us in terms of our twenty fifty goals uh, and targets? And I, you know, construction is just one part of that, but it just it feels like, um, it, it feels like the more we get into it, the less we know. And that's probably a, a normal part of it. But for the construction industry, in terms of trying to do the right thing, um, 
you know, do we do we can we agree as an industry and the policymakers providing policy for that industry? Can we agree on what the right target should be in a way that that we actually have some hope of achieving them? Do you think? Well, I suppose I'm not sure I would agree that we don't have um, a defined definition of sustainability i think um you know internationally there you know there are things such as science-based targets that we are working to um also within the the paris agreement we are signed up to achieve um certain targets um you know to limit global warming by 1.5 degrees and that is it's possible then to translate that down to the construction level as to what that means and that's what we have been doing um and that's what we did as part of the building life um work last year where we actually modeled the total impact of developing the national you know the national development plan over the next 10 years and what that meant uh, in terms of global science-based targets. So, it, so it is not just to so whilst you can mitigate a lot of, and we we can, we will mitigate a lot of um, carbon emissions by technology. We can't just rely on technology. And there's a term that has now been used very much within Europe called sufficiency as well. And really what that means is being a lot more efficient in how we deliver construction, how we, you know, are more space efficient, um, how we make better use of vacant space that's already within our towns and cities. And, um, you know, that, that all, and that's where we come back to this whole thing of donut economics as well. Um, how do we deliver... Um, the needs of the Irish people without blowing the global budget. Um, you know, you know, even if you look at how we deliver housing, can we deliver the right size and type of units, which is not we've a tendency just to focus on families, but we need a range of smaller units for all different types of um uh, family sizes. Um, and I think we could be a lot more efficient there. So I wouldn't necessarily agree that uh, we, we we don't have targets. I think we very much do have targets. And I don't think there's any doubt anymore about what we need to do. Um, you no, know, and that, that's absolutely fair. I accept that. And I suppose um, you're talking about the needs of the Irish people, um, maybe as defined and underpinned in the National, de um, the national uh, Development uh, plan and, and in our national planning framework but the reality is we know that the demographics there are are not correct we know that they have they are underestimated and you know what's interesting I, I i spoke i i had the opportunity to interview ronan Lyons on this very topic you know we actually raised the question you know why does ireland or why do the irish government almost consistently underestimate Ireland's growth. And he ha he gave a really interesting theory and you'll have to listen back to the interview with Ronan Lyons to hear his theory on it. I won't even try to, I won't even I even try to relay it here, but it, it is an interesting one, but it's one that irrespective of his theory on why it happens, the reality is that we do almost consistently underestimate Ireland's growth, not just in terms of the economy, but actually in terms of our 
population changes and the the breakdown of the typology, the, the, the underestimating the demographics gives us this mismatch of housing typologies when we look at housing need and demand. And that has a very real consequence. It has a real consequence in housing. It has a real consequence in health. It has a real consequence in our public transport. We're only talking about housing. But there is a real consequence to that that I don't want to say invalidates, um, you know, because obviously we have to work on something. But, I, I, you know, again, the, da the data that we're working on is clearly imperfect. Um, should that stop us working on it? No, of course. But I think we need to acknowledge that it is imperfect and find ways to improve it. Well, uh, I suppose we do have data. It's just that we're not using it. Um, I give you the example. Last year, the average size of home delivered was 123 square meters, which is a, a four bedroom home. Um, the average household size, according to the uh, CSO statistics, was 2.7. That went up from about 2.5 in 2016 because all our adult children are coming home to live with us um, but they've nowhere to go because we're not providing the right sized right type of homes for them instead we're building large family homes so we've got a mismatch between what has been provided and been built and if we actually built with the same square meterage output um, you know we built 29,000 houses last year we actually perfectly matched our housing requirements with the demographics. We could have built 55,000 houses last year with the same output. Um, yeah, that's it, it, that's so stark when you put it like that. And it actually just shows the importance of interpreting the data correctly. And I think you've raised a really interesting question. Actually, we do have the data, so why are we not using it? And actually, just at the National Property Summit in, in the last week, I had the opportunity to interview um, a um, placemaker. Um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, Ali Harvey, and she spoke about not just the need for data, but she actually made the point where you've no data, you've no crisis. So sometimes mm -hmm. it's it's not convenient for policymakers to know all the data. And I just thought it was a very compelling point she made that no data equals no crisis. And I mean, maybe that will go some way into answering the question, if we have data, why are we not using it to inform policy? But I suppose the, the reason I raise this point is because this has serious consequences for climate, because every every wasted square metre of uh, area is half a tonne of carbon. That And, you know, we waste labour, space. We're not housing people and we're making the climate crisis worse. You know, you break that down into every square metre wasted is a half tonne of carbon. I'm looking at people who are homeless or living in hotels or hostels or completely inadequate inadequate um, accommodation. So I absolutely agree with you. The consequences of failing to interpret this data, it's very real. It's real for the environment. It's real for our people. It's real for our housing policy. It's real for our healthcare. It's real for our education. It's real for everything. So... Um, that that maybe needs to come back to why the industry needs to be it needs to be feeding in data in, in a much better way, and that's why we were so happy to interview your colleague Stephen and contribute case studies and and encourage the industry to contribute case studies so that um some baseline data could start to be established. I know MMC Ireland are doing a similar project right now to try understand. Uh, some of the data across uh, offsite and and the other modern methods of construction uh, categories and 
you know, it is so important as an industry that we arm ourselves with the data so that actually the right policy can be born out of that. So look, thank you so much for your patience with me today because these are things that I'm curious about and I don't fully understand. And sometimes it's difficult to find the right people to ask the questions. So uh, Pat, today you're it. <laughs> you, you were the first in front of me, so you get the questions. Thank you so much. Before we finish up today, because I am conscious of your time, um, you know, you you touched on say the energy performance building uh, directive and and what's likely to be coming down the track in uh, 2024 that will impact the built environment. You might just give us maybe your thoughts on what we can expect for the next 12 to 18 months. Well, I suppose the energy performance of building directive has now largely been agreed in Europe. So, um, in 2024 should see the implementation of that. So that. That so um, uh, that includes things like introduction of minimum energy performance. It includes the requirement within three years um, to, to to include whole life carbon measurement in the um, on the BER. So you'll have to put a you'll have to calculate your embodied carbon by the first of January twenty twenty seven and include it on your BER. So that that will drive a whole range of um of new industries and I, and I suppose whilst I did talk about the need for sp um space efficiency and efficient use of materials we also need the technology to catch up um we, we will need new forms of construction um the government has the set up a working group around timber um which i'm participating on um and that'll be working through 2024 to um try and see uh, if there's a way to 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 enable more um use of timber at you know above four stories so we could start to see apartment blocks being built entirely out of timber um so th there will be an awful lot happening in 2024 um, at a regulatory level and at a guidance level, um, particularly around the implementation of the EBD. Um, Pat, thank you so much for taking us through those. Um, every time I have a discussion with you, things just become a little clearer. And, and this is quite a complex area. And, and we do try to break down some of not just the language and the terminology, but also maybe some of the changes. And this is such a fast changing place as uh, area of the industry. You know, you mentioned there about that sea change that has been happening over the last two years. And it's clear that's set to continue for another year or two as well. So thank you for the work that you and your team do in the Irish Green Building Council, actually, to take us through that and translate that to bring the industry along with you. I genuinely appreciate it. Um, that was Pat Barry, CEO of the Irish Green Building Council and Chair of the European Regional Network of the World Green Building Council. Thanks to our show producer, Katie Tell, and to the production team at Hear Me Roar Media. And of course, uh, thanks to Place Engage for making these conversations possible. Thank you to all for tuning in, not just today, but for this year. And this is, again, our final show of 2023. We look forward to joining you in 2024 again. We wish all of our listeners a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. And we look forward to catching you on the other side with the next episode of Breaking Ground in 2024. In the meantime, please be sure to check out all of the other Irish and international real estate and construction shows on iProperty Radio. Bye.